0: Today's guest on the show is Jan Pritzker, author of the book Inventing Bitcoin, which uh, I urge anybody to go out and grab a copy. Sorry,
1: sorry, abort. I started that abort, again. Abort, abort. Sorry, I hit a button. <laughs> okay, let's do that one more time. <laughs> one more time.
0: Okay, I might leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> today's guest on the show is Jan pritzker author of the book inventing Bitcoin and I urge anybody to go out and grab a copy because it's one of the the, the easiest to understand books about Bitcoin that uh, that I've read and it's um it's really awesome it, it really absolutely um, spells everything out in an easy yeah. easy way to understand fashion and excuse my um, interruption here uh, but uh, we've got uh, the, the, co, the, the co-host of the show is back today. Can you say hello, Lauren? Hi. <laughs> and Hi, hey, Lauren. Lauren. Welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time.
1: Thank you. My pleasure, and thanks for having me, Dan and Lauren. I'm, it's a great pleasure, and uh, I'm really excited to chat. I love your pod. It's uh, a new one for me. I just started listening to it recently, and uh, there's so many new podcasts entering into the space. It's really great to hear all these new voices uh, coming in with uh, their own perspectives. So, thank you for for doing this, Dan. Oh,
0: thank you very much for the kind words. Really appreciate it. And uh, as ever, if the co-host is present, then uh, she leads off with the first question. So, she's got um, something to ask. What What do you have to ask? Oh yeah, why did you write? Why did he write a book about Bitcoin?
1: <laughs> That's a very good question. Why did I write a book about Bitcoin? Um, well, you know, when I, uh, I was working in uh, the technology industry for a long time, 20 years or so, and, um, you know, I have a lot of background in technology, right? So Bitcoin, you could say, is a type of technology in some ways. And when I first saw it, I thought I understood it, but I didn't really understand it very much at all. And it took me probably about a year of really just, you know, full on research, two to three hours a day, podcasts, books. Um, videos to really, really get my hands around what Bitcoin is and how it will impact the world. And I wanted to share that knowledge with my friends. I actually spent a lot of time uh, talking to people about it, uh, everybody around me that I could, because this is what happens to people when they get into Bitcoin. They just can't stop talking about it. And uh, (laughs) so I talked about it a lot with my friends. Uh, I ended up going to a bunch of high schools um, to give talks to students who were uh, math students or just interested in Bitcoin uh, because my wife was a teacher or is a teacher in high school, as well as some of her friends. So I went around to their classrooms explaining Bitcoin. And it turns out that explaining Bitcoin in a 20 or 30 minute format is very, very challenging. Uh, and so I decided to write this book as kind of, uh, you know, to, to make that easier for myself and to give have something to give to people.
0: Okay. What do you think of that? That's a good answer, uh, huh? Yeah, it's a good <laughs> answer. Would you like to have been in school and, and seen uh, Jan come into the classroom and talk about Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, but like, I, I, I don't But probably wouldn't work in France. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and
0: uh, yeah, it does get crazy because um, Jan's right, isn't it? Once once Daddy started learning about Bitcoin, he can't stop talking about it. Uh, that's true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is that a big uh, problem just, in your family? Just, just him. <laughs> in my... yeah.
0: he has a just him. Just yeah, him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of us uh, people who are into Bitcoin have a problem because, you know, we see something that's really, first of all, extremely interesting uh, for anybody who is in, in the technology, economics, um, or just even wants to understand how the world around them works. It's very interesting. But when you get into Bitcoin, you learn that what you thought about money your whole life is possibly wrong. Or maybe you never even gave gave it any thought. Uh, a lot of people kind of, you know, get introduced to money probably by their parents. Like I don't know when you get your first money. I'm assuming you have but some money like, at this point. When, when my
0: dad first heard about it, he was like, "I'm going to learn this. I'm going to learn this. Now I know a little bit. He's going mad." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. It's it, it's maddening because when you start learning it, there's so much more to learn. There's never an end to the Bitcoin learning experience because there's so much more always around the corner. Well, thank you so much for the first question. Do you want to say goodbye to you? Uh,
0: Bye,
1: bye, Bye. Bios. Nice to chat with you.
0: Okay, bye, bye. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for entertaining that uh, that first question and answering so eloquently. That's great. I actually wanted.
1: I think there should be an entire show where only she does the interview. I think that would be a a great hit. I'm sure. I'm (laughs) sure
0: it would. There's there's probably a niche in the market for that. Um. I actually wanted to, to read um, a sentence from, from the book, which just like when, it, when I read it, and it's like in, on the second page, um, I just like, had to stop whatever my wife was doing and read it to her. Um, and I want to <laughs> okay. like, read it to you and then um, explore a little bit further uh, around this. Uh, Bitcoin will decentralize the production and consumption of money which is the key to unlocking new ways for humanity to collaborate on a scale that was previously unimaginable.
1: Wow, powerful words. <laughs> if I do say that, so myself. I mean,
0: it's that. <laughs> I had to read that sentence about three times before it sunk in. And it's like, you, you nail it. For humanity to collaborate on a scale that was previously unimaginable.
1: Yeah, I think... You know, my, the, the, where that thought came from is money in general is a tool for collaboration, right? Because if you live in just like, let's say it's just your family unit. Well, it's basically communism on the family level, right? You just, you know, you provide for your kids. You don't ask for anything in return. Everybody does what they can. And it's kind of just this kind of shared communistic ideal, right? And then you get to out uh, out to a bigger unit, like a tribe. And it's still somewhat communist, socialist, like people are helping each other out, especially in primitive societies um there's probably no reason to have money at that level you're still kind of doing your neighbor a favor and they're doing you a favor and you maybe keep a mental tally or maybe you've written down on a book somewhere what they owe you um but once you start to you know you take your money to the next or you you need to go and interact with people in the next neighboring tribe or neighboring town now you need to bring something of value with you right because they don't know who you are they can't take your word Um, you can't just say please give me some food and i promise i'll give you you know something else in return tomorrow you need something like money. And this is kind of where money rises from, as we have trade that becomes more and more, you know, bigger and bigger. We have tribes, then we have nation states, right? Eventually the collaboration between parties that don't know each other and don't trust each other comes down to money. Because if they can have money, then they know that um, they can be rewarded for work that they do. And then they can kind of use that reward uh, with somebody else later. And so money is an excellent tool for solving the problem of collaboration between humans. Um, but money, as we have it today, has some flaws. Um, one of them is that it is basically constrained by national borders. So as soon as you know you try to make your money leave the country of its origin, you have all kinds of interesting problems like capital controls. For example, will the government actually let you transport that money out? Uh, and what amount will they allow you to take? And which countries can you send it to? Like, I can't pay somebody in Iran. That's you know their sanctioned country, right? Um, so despite what you may think is good or not good about sanctions and that's I think a separate discussion the question is what types of collaboration are possible with the money we have today and those collaborations basically extend to the uh, to the point where whatever go- the government will allow right um, The government for example, will not allow me to use my uh, visa card in my uh, when I go to a cannabis shop. even though cannabis is legal in my state, I can't actually use my credit card. To buy cannabis. So that's interesting, right? The government decides what I can and cannot do with my money. Um, And if I want to take it out of the country, there's all kinds of capital controls on that, of course. So Bitcoin creates a new system of money where we don't actually have to ask for permission. We can send that money anywhere we want uh, all over the world. It enables collaboration between people who have never met each other, who have no reason to trust each other. Um, We have decentralized companies where where people are all over the world and they can share value back and forth with Bitcoin settling nearly instantly, uh, bypassing all banking and government infrastructure. So I do think this is just the beginning of that. We are still just getting into what the impacts will be. But decentralizing the ability to send money across the world does create new collaboration opportunities that we've never had before.
0: And it is unimaginable. That's, I think, a big blocking point for people when they they first start learning about Bitcoin, Uh, even if they do understand it to a certain degree. You can't imagine what's coming now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like you couldn't imagine what, you know, at the birth of the internet and, you know, say the you know early 80s, early 90s, I mean, the internet's older than that. But as people started coming on board, I don't think anybody imagined uh, what it looks like today with all the social media we have, the iPhones in our pockets. I mean, sure, there were science fiction around that, but it's not easy to see what the outcomes and ramifications are or what the second order effects are, right? What happens when all media is digital and democratized? Everybody can produce their own podcasts, their own radio show, right? Everybody can write their own uh, news articles. So now we have deep fakes and AI and like what happens then, right? Everything, just everything goes, is changing underneath us. And that includes the money that we use. Um, so society is going digital, money is going digital. And it's pretty clear that uh, we need to make sure that the money that we have in this uh, bright digital future, hopefully it's bright and not dark because we have freedom with our money and not uh, authoritarian control.
0: And what happens when globally, almost every human being on the planet is going to be able to exchange value with each other?
1: I think we see so much more human collaboration. I mean, we see people working together on projects that weren't able to work together before. Um, transcending national borders, getting the brightest minds from every country to work together. Things that are you know, really, really difficult if you don't have that binding force that can let you, you know, easily pay people for their work and things like that.
0: And I think another word as well that, um, that might kind of turn people off is this word um, trustless. When they hear that word, um, you know, talking about Bitcoin being uh, appeared to be a trustless um, uh, form of exchange. Can you explain what you mean by trustless? So, so anybody, because we, we're so used to trusting, right?
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, maybe trust minimized is the more correct word. Trustless is kind of a nice m- way to market the idea. Um, but in Bitcoin, there's lots of ways that we eliminate trust, uh, even just basic stuff. like If I ask you, um, tell me, do you actually have this money that you're plan- planning to pay me with? Well, in Bitcoin, you can actually sign a message that essentially proves that you have control of a certain uh, amount of funds in a certain address, in certain Bitcoin address. So I no longer even have to trust you. You know, in the traditional world, I would say, okay, show me an audit by a third party that's gone to your bank and looked at your statements and made sure you haven't moved that money in that amount of time. With Bitcoin, it's completely real time. I can you can tell me that you have that Bitcoin, and I can trust you on that based on uh, just math. I can just verify the math for myself. I can. Look on the bitcoin blockchain which is a, an entirely public ledger and see um how much you have where it's moved you know it's completely public in that sense um the other way that it's really interestingly trustless is that uh when i send money when you send bitcoin to me i don't need to you know know that you're credit worthy i don't need to have any information on you whatsoever um i just look at the transaction and is it a valid bitcoin transaction the software that runs on my computer or my bitcoin node verifies those transactions and tells me, yes, that's valid Bitcoin. It was produced by the rules of Bitcoin. It's not counterfeit. And yes, uh, Dan did have the keys to spend it to me. And yes, it is now under my control. These things I can verify without knowing who you are, which is the way money should be. Because when you go to a store and you spend cash, they don't need to know who you are. But when you move to uh, credit cards or digital payments like Apple Pay or PayPal, Venmo, WeChat, Alipay, you name it. Now every transaction is no longer about the transaction. It's about who you are, what you've done in the past, all that data being tracked by those payment companies, accessible to governments. Um, and then eventually you can get locked out of the system, which happens more and more in places that want to implement more strict, more authoritarian, more draconian measures to control their populace.
0: Yeah. Perfect answer. And I hope that, uh, helps people out that, uh, are worried about that, um, that word trustless, um, Right, okay. You you talked about going into high schools and um, teaching um, high school kids about Bitcoin. I wanted to know what kind of impact you were having, what kind of questions you were getting, what were the most kind of uh, common questions?
1: Yeah, so one of the biggest, one of the ways that I start my high school talks, and I think is probably the most relevant thing is. How does money actually work? Because most high schoolers have limited, especially in the areas that I go to, which is kind of uh, relatively affluent, affluent um, areas of uh, the Chicagoland, where people they haven't really thought about money. Right, they either just get free money from their parents or they have some experience with spending money, uh, but they haven't really thought about the nature of money, how it came to be. And most of us that are, you know, essentially under 75 years old or what is it? Yeah, something like that. We're, we're living with money that has existed all our lives in this particular format, which is fiat money, money without any gold backing, without any commodity backing at all. It's just money that the government has said, hey, this is a piece of paper that you must accept if you uh, operate a business here. So um, we don't know where money came from or anything like that. So uh, a big question from high schoolers is, you know, why is Bitcoin? why is Bitcoin necessary? Well, in order to understand that, you have to understand where money came from. So we spent a lot of time talking through some early prototype monies like shells or beads that we saw in uh, early Native America, as well as uh, you know the African continent when, when slaves are being traded for glass beads. And we see examples, um, and a lot of this comes from Nick Zabo's Shelling Out essay, which I highly recommend for people to read if they haven't, one of the best works on this. Um, he talks a lot about how when people used a certain type of object as money or as a value object, then whoever had the technology to produce that object quickly would end up with all the money. So that happened a number of times, including with a slave trade where the Europeans came in and just looked at, you know, the Africans and said, hey, these guys really love gla- glass beads. And we have great technology for producing glass beads from Venice and Murano. So let's just do that. Let's produce lots and lots of glass beads and buy up all the slaves. And literally, because they had better technology for producing that "quote unquote" you know money, it wasn't really money, but it was kind of proto money. They they were able to exploit the continent, and uh, this is why everybody ended up with gold as a standard over time because gold was very very hard to produce. It was there's no easy way to just make lots and lots of it. You had to do the work. You had to have proof of work, right? Um, so we talked through all of that, and we kind of talked through the evolution of the twenty dollar bill, which is. Uh, really interesting because you can watch it throughout the uh the ages as it changes from something that's redeemable for gold it, it says this is a gold certificate eventually it says this is just redeemable for lawful tender lawful uh money which you know they made gold legal in 1934 and then eventually you uh you end up with modern fiat money 20 dollar bill that is redeemable for nothing but itself so we talked through all of that i think that gives high schoolers a good understanding of both the history of money as well as why it's important for money to be scarce in order to be useful. Um, This is a really big deal, right? Even the U.S. dollar is somewhat scarce. Yes, we do print more of it, but we don't, you know, we don't print it willy-nilly. We don't just, you know, inflate the amount tenfold because our entire economy would crash and everybody knows that. But for some reason, um, we allow central bankers to decide what that magic number is, where it's okay to print a certain amount, but not beyond that. Um, With Bitcoin, the difference is, we don't. Uh, we don't have anybody making those decisions. It's set in stone, and nobody can actually change that. So that's, I think, one of the biggest questions: just how does how does money even work? Um, the other thing that people tend to bring up is why is Bitcoin price like what? Who sets the Bitcoin price? Which is, I think, just a general um, misunderstanding or lack of experience with markets, because all prices in you know, at least in capitalist economies are set by the market. They are set by uh, supply and demand, which a lot of people in high school still have uh, either not ex- been exposed to or just haven't really grasped fully. Um, they expect prices to be stable because that's what they see with the dollar, at least you know, day to day. They, they don't see prices fluctuating so much of the goods that they use. But uh, with Bitcoin, the price is very, very volatile. And it is that way because the supply does not change. Right, The supply is fixed. We know exactly how much Bitcoin is going to be produced uh, over a certain period of time. And if new demand comes in, well, the price spikes like crazy. And so people have a hard time with that, uh, understanding the volatility of it and uh, explaining supply and demand is a lot of fun also. Yes.
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm sure we've had uh, lots of good discussions with... Um, are, are you surprised by by their... Uh, not their intellect, their, their keenness to learn?
1: Yeah, it definitely ranges in different groups. Um, I think people who have had some experience with the money are much more interested in Bitcoin because they have at least understood you know, how money works day to day. Um, there's a lot of folks in high school these days. And again, it's because of these affluent areas where they're sheltered by their parents from real life um, that they don't actually experience money so much. And it's very abstract to them. So it definitely ranges um, in that sense. And it also, it tends, it seems to me that kids have been exposed to some elements of economics, have a lot more interest in this because they They at least understand the basics like supply and demand and and maybe some of the basics around what money does in our society. Um, Although I would say that, you know, even many adults, most adults, uh, probably day to day, they don't think about money or how it works. I mean, they think about earning it and spending it, maybe saving it, um, maybe investing it, but they don't really think about why it is the way it is. We have what we have and that's that's money, right? The government's given us these green little pieces of paper and that's money. Um, but Bitcoin is asking us to dig a little deeper and go under the surface of that and say why is this money? Why are we okay with it as such? And and what um, effects does it have on our society when we have one type of money versus another?
0: Yeah, exactly. And we, um, you know, we, we live in privileged um, in uh, privileged countries where we do have that money that's pretty stable. If I look at uh, you know the, the country I was born um, in, the UK, and it's not always been the case for you though and that's a that's a story I would like for you to to share with the listeners like um your family coming originally from from Russia and um, mm-hmm. well it deciding to leave mm-hmm. and that <laughs> how how that has left an imprint on on you and money and um if you if you wouldn't mind sharing that story
1: yeah absolutely I'd love to. Uh, So, yeah, we came from the former Soviet Union, which I often refer to as Russia, even though technically we came from the Ukraine. Um, I lived in Kiev all my life uh, up to until I was seven years old. Uh, Kiev is the capital of Ukraine, a big city and right on the borderline with uh, the Chernobyl explosion. So if you um, if you've watched that new Netflix series, you've probably seen a lot of talk about Kiev and uh, the surrounding areas. If you look at a map of Chernobyl, we are literally like they draw a line where the danger zone is. And we're just, you know, a few kilometers past the danger zone is pretty much the outskirts of Kiev. So uh, in 1986, Chernobyl happened. That was probably a big impetus for my family to uh, start wanting to get out of the Soviet Union. We lived our lives not really knowing what what uh, life outside of the Soviet Union looks like. Right. Uh, we it was a classic socialist regime where. No news comes in or out. Uh, no people come in or out, right? The economy is totally on lockdown. You can't own foreign currencies. That's illegal. Uh, you will go to jail if you have U.S. dollars, uh, even though, uh, of course, there was a, a vibrant black market and people pay in U.S. dollars because, of course, that was the real money that people wanted. <laughs> and, um, you know, we had all the things that you hear about. We, we had bread lines. We had um, shortages of goods. We had uh, jeans that cost uh, your full month salary, imported from the United States in underground ways. Um, You know, we had all of those things. We had censored media. We had um, pretty much everything you can imagine because once you decide that you're going the way of controlling money, you have to control everything else around it too. It really just all goes together. Um, You can't really have a tightly controlled economy if you allow people to see that, oh, across the ocean, we've got America, where as it turns out, there are no bread lines. There's actually crazy amounts of abundance. Walk into any... uh, and you have uh, twenty types of bread to choose from. This was not information that was available to us, right? This is this was like there were rumors. Um, some people had been abroad uh, under very tightly controlled circumstances, but most people had no idea. Um, in '86, with Chernobyl, and this is information I have basically from my parents. I don't I don't remember most of this, as I was too small. Um, but my parents really saw what the government was doing with Chernobyl, the cover-ups. Uh, my, my dad's uncle was working, i oh, sorry. My dad's cousin was working as a physics professor. So he heard about Chernobyl really early, like on day one, maybe on day two. Um, and it was, t- it was totally controlled. Like nobody knew that there was a, me- a nuclear meltdown right around the corner cause the government didn't want to admit it. Uh, but he let us know. And we basically started making plans to leave and we were out of there. Um, I believe on day five after Chernobyl, we were out of there and we just kind of lived in a different place for a little while and. I think that's when my parents started to realize that this is not a good place to raise kids, and um, we we started making plans to leave. Uh, my parents took English lessons. I took English lessons as a kid, as an, in some kind of underground <laughs> English school. And um, by the time '89 rolled around, uh, started the government started relaxing travel restrictions. People were starting to let it, be let out. So we had to we had to get a sponsorship. So basically, somebody from abroad had to come in and and send a letter to. The Soviet government saying, hey, we'll, we'll take these people in. They had to know all of our details, like dates of birth and stuff. And this was my grandpa's, you know, second cousin who had never really met uh, us, the kids or anything like that. So we had to write coded letters to him because all information was assumed to be compromised. You, you were assuming people were reading your letters and listening to your phone calls. So we had to write all these coded letters saying like, hey, we have a new baby. His name is Jan. He was born on this date. Like, you know, I wanted to let you know. And eventually we're able to get that letter um, to kind of extract us out. And um, we when it came time to leave. And again, this is stuff that I found out really just recently after I started getting into Bitcoin, because I started wondering what happened to our money. And I went to my parents and I said, what happened when we left the Soviet Union? What happened to our rubles, our Soviet rubles, which was the currency of the day? Well, it turns out there was capital controls, um, and that means you can't take your money out of the country. So the government allowed us to exchange uh, $100 per person uh, for of rubles to U.S. dollars, and that's what we were able to leave the country with uh, at the end of um, uh, at the end of that exchange. So we left with $400 in our pockets for the four-person family, and after that, um, we also took a bunch of suitcases with just any goods we could carry with us, and people were hearing all these stories from other people who had already immigrated of like what was good to take with you to sell. And we heard, you know, uh, thermometers and glass cutters weren't in vogue for whatever reason. So we had a giant suitcase full of thermometers, uh, glass cutters, also some like Soviet memorabilia, like little, uh, pins, like little communist pins and stuff like that. And, um, uh, we immigrated, we went through Italy for, we lived there for about a month. And, uh, I walked up and down a beach in Italy and tried to sell those thermometers. glass cutters to people on the beach which is as you may you know uh figure out doesn't really work for well but luckily i was you know a cute kid and people are giving me money anyway (laughs) so i was just walking down the beach saying like thermometro una mile and trying to sell those thermometers and um, demonstrating glass cutters on people's wine bottles and that was our immigration experience so when we got to the u.s we had pretty much nothing and um when i started to you know ask my parents about this when i was into bitcoin because i'd watched this um uh, the Andreas Antonopoulos video called Currency Wars, where he talks about capital controls, uh, bank runs, um, government action to to lock down people's access to money. And I, w- I started asking my parents uh, that day, like, what, what happened to our money? And when they told me the story, I just was totally taken aback because I realized that everything Andreas was talking about was exactly what we had gone through and exactly the problem that Bitcoin is solving. It's not really like a get rich quick uh, thing. What it is, is it's a get free slowly thing, right? You, you have to save some Bitcoin to have it on the side for that day when you do need to leave your country and you do need to have your wealth intact. Um, that is really important. And for people who, you know, half the world lives in regimes like this where th- that's a reality for them. And uh, for us in America or the UK or France, you know, a lot of these kind of first world democracies, we don't really think about having to leave one day. Um, But maybe we should, Um, and if nothing else, we can at least prepare for that uh, and save money uh, in a way that is totally ours, the way that it can't be seized by the government. It it can't be defeated by capital controls. It can be hidden in your head, um, you know, with the 24 words that you memorize uh, and carried out of the country. So I think that's that's super important about Bitcoin. and, And that's why finally I was really sold on the idea of working on Bitcoin because it was so important to so much of the world.
0: Uh, that story is just nuts to think that you know i was like 86 87 i was 10 years 11 years old you know just a normal life in the uk getting up going to school watching tv like not not one single worry not looking back well at yep. that stage i probably thought you know i was like the most hard done by a kid in the world but then you were about the same age i think no you're a slightly a little bit younger than me
1: I, I was like seven seven when we immigrated seven and a half
0: Right. But you just, like, a couple of countries over, are dodging a nuclear <laughs> fallout, escaping a country where it's confiscating all of your money.
1: Yeah, it's really crazy. It's really crazy. And, and people don't think that this is, like, real because they live in... you know. And look, when I was seven, I didn't know that my life was bad. I was a kid, right? I was I had a pretty normal childhood within those parameters. I wasn't, like, starving per se. We did have food. Um, you know, it was, stuff was hard to get. You didn't always get what you wanted. Uh, You saw a line somewhere, you stood in it and you just got whatever was was given that day and you exchanged it on the black market. But people may do and people, you know, people live their lives. People have a a very um, interesting ability to adapt to any circumstances. But I will tell you that um, you ask any Soviet immigrant what they remember about America. And it's always the first experience going to a supermarket. It's always like, walking uh people used to go to aldi it's still pretty popular it's very low cost supermarket uh here i don't i don't know if you guys have it out there i think it's german actually um but low cost and like not super not not super diverse in its selection compared to others but when we walked in that first aldi it was like what <laughs> there's you know five to ten different types of bread we can buy here like there's just so much going on here and uh we we never imagined that that was a reality outside outside of the soviet union nobody no, no, there were rumors, but nobody ever experienced it.
0: And you're so right when you say that, you know, half the world lives still under like um author- authoritarian governments like this.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's a mixture, even though those that claim to be, you know, to some degree democratic, I mean, the America is, you know, quote unquote, a free country, but you think you can carry out any amount of money out of this country arbitrarily without being checked, monitored and, uh, and, you know, validated? No, you cannot. Uh, we, we want to have extremely strict control over all money flows. Of course, it's in the name of protecting us from terrorism and drugs and all the bad people out there, but ask yourself, what are the ramifications of those protections? What are the ramifications of us uh, going to a fully digital society? Because, you know, frankly in, uh, in the Soviet union, it was all paper money, right? You literally would be you know, searched. And if you had any money on, if you had us dollars on you, that would be illegal. Um, now you can have digital dollars, right? But with digital dollars, it's a lot easier to search you. You could just, every transaction you send is literally being searched by the bank, right? They're literally checking it against rules, what you can do with it, what you can't do with it. And uh, you no longer need any kind of border patrol to stop you from carrying money out of your country. You just need to make sure all country, all money is digital. And we see this, you know, a big push for that now. We see central bank digital currencies being explored. We see papers being put out by the IMF and other um, global monetary institutions that talk about how we're going to be able to surveil every single transaction, and that's a good thing. And how we're going to be able to implement negative interest rates if we want to, and that's a good thing, because we want people to stimulate the economy and you know lose lose money if they don't spend it. Like these are features, not bugs, of digital money from the standpoint of the government. But they are bugs <laughs> from the standpoint of the user, which is us, the people who like want to retain our wealth and want to have options, right? Optionality is huge. Like we didn't have the option to leave the Soviet Union. And um, I want to have that option in case we need it. It's time and time again that the history is played out across the world. Doesn't matter if you like the people in charge of your country now, there's no guarantee that the same people will be in charge five years from now or 10 years from now. So why not put 1% of your you know savings into Bitcoin?
0: Yeah, so true. And I mean, that leads us nicely into into what you're doing now. Uh, but before we talk about um, the, the company that you've co-founded. Uh, a little bit more about your background in uh, in the field of tech. You said 20 years um, doing that and building other companies. Um, and then finally coming to the realization that uh, Bitcoin is where you need to be focusing and building new startups. Um, so could you give us a little bit of a background into the companies that you've built before? And then we'll get into exactly what you're doing now for the Bitcoin community.
1: Yeah. So I got into coding when I was a kid. Uh, Actually, my dad got me my first computer when we just moved here at around eight years old, um, which was really awesome. And I grew up coding and and kind of um, junior high and high school and uh, went to school for computer science, um, Urbana-Champaign, as well as linguistics, and thought I was going to get into all kinds of AI and machine translation stuff. And then I kind of got bitten by the startup bug um, because I had my chance to work at a a few uh, startups as an intern and got super excited about that and just decided I was going to do that. I don't care what it is. Just want to be at the beginning of something. That exciting feeling you get from building something from the ground up. So I, I did like six different startups uh, in my 20-year career. Um, I was either you know an early engineer, co-founder, um, kind of like early team member in a lot of a lot of places. Uh, worked at an online university startup, uh, airline reservation system that we that we built, um, like a prediction market technology. I did kind of everything. And uh, my most successful one was in 2012, with uh, the starting of Reverb, uh, where uh, uh, which was founded by David Kalt, who is uh, also the former founder of or co-founder of Options Express, an early options trading platform. And we built um, basically we built the world's best uh, trading site for musicians. People could buy and sell uh, guitars, drums, you know, you name it, any kind of musical instrument. And I helped build that from the ground up, and I helped hire the team and you know build that up. And we got to, from 2012 to 2018, uh, got to about 150 employees, and we were doing uh, about $500 million or $600 million at the end of 2018, I think, in annual sales. So we, we really ballooned very quickly. And uh, I quickly found myself uh, in a very new role. You know, I, I was very used to being that kind of early guy, first 5, 10, 20 people. Um, and this was just getting to be a very big company and i had also kind of fallen down the bitcoin rabbit hole from 2016 onwards and by 2018 with the price action doing what it was it just felt like at this point i had to i had to drop everything and work on bitcoin because the reason i joined reverb in the first place the reason why i wanted to help david build it was because it was a vision for bringing music to people and that felt like an important thing to do for the world and i wanted to do something that was you know that i could be proud of and say like i brought music to more people but Bitcoin was something entirely different. It was bringing not just music, which is awesome, but freedom, freedom for so much of the world that needs it. Uh, and that just once I understood what Bitcoin really was and it took me at least a year, I think, to get there, um, then I just had to I had to drop everything and work on it.
0: Right. It's, yeah, it makes so much sense as well with uh, the experience of, um, of leaving Russia. Uh, and seeing the effect that it had on your parents and uh, all of your other family members and friends that would have got out of the country as well at the same time, um, and I, I'm sure you you feel um, you know kinship towards people that is still going on, right? Uh, you know, so many Syrian families being disrupted, and, and it's yeah, like it must
1: Venezuela, yeah, absolutely. And I've had some I've had some chats with people there. Like I have a friend now, you know, I made friends with Bitcoin that are all over the planet, which is really really awesome. Um, but I, I have friends in Venezuela now, you know, and I've helped them um, start their little businesses uh, like they're selling books, they're selling uh, Bitcoin oriented books and they're running Bitcoin meetups and stuff like that. And I think it's it's so important for these little seeds to take root and all, all over the world, because frankly, um, in the US, Bitcoin is for the most part a luxury good. Uh, maybe it's going to become more and more important as, you know, we're probably on the precipice of a pretty major uh, credit wind down and, and God knows what else with with this global recession that's going on. Uh, and maybe Bitcoin will be an important part of that as a sort of hedge or uh, uncorrelated part of your portfolio. But it's still a luxury good, Like right? I'm not that worried that I'm going to have to leave America. I think we're going to be okay. Um, but I think a lot of places in the world, that it's, uh, it's a reality. It's not like a luxury good. It's a necessity. And that's where you can see it in the stats. I mean, where people... You know, all over the world are paying a premium uh, to buy Bitcoin on local exchanges because they need it to get out. That's, you know, it's a life and death type of situation for them. It's not a luxury good.
0: No, precisely. Or or something just to speculate with, right? Like willy nilly, like um, markets are being built around it, you know, um, derivative markets and options mm-hmm. markets for well, you know, that's a whole new business that's coming on. But then there's people out yeah. there that truly need it. And probably good good place to shill um, Peter McCormack's new show. Um, did you see the the YouTube mm-hmm. uh, video he did um, out of Venezuela? I
1: haven't watched it. I haven't watched it yet. I, I'm uh, about to. It's definitely on my list. Just been so busy with the launching of Swan. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which is your project.
0: So the launching of Swan. And I'm really... Uh, the more I've been learning about it, I think what you guys are building is going to be probably one of the most important companies in the next 10 years in Bitcoin.
1: Wow, well, I appreciate that. And we're definitely going to try to be an, uh, an important piece of this ecosystem and help more and more people across the world save more Bitcoin.
0: It's, it's going to be... I mean, just thinking like aloud um, earlier before, you know, like Lauren and I were talking and I was telling her about uh, yeah, so he's wrote this book and he's starting this company and this company's gonna be really cool. And I was looking at it thinking, That comp- you're gonna be using that company. There's there's no doubt in my mind that she is gonna have a phone and she's gonna be using that to save money. So can you tell people exactly we what would, Swan is? We would love that. Um and what's what your what's your vision is?
1: Yeah, so Swan, uh, very simply, is a Bitcoin on-ramp. It, uh, you know, we want to be the best Bitcoin on-ramp uh, in the world because we combine really good education with a really, really easy recurring savings plan. And uh, the recurring savings plan part of it is really important, right? We want people to start saving Bitcoin every week, every paycheck, every month, whatever, whatever that's comfortable for them, and with really any amount. I mean, if, it could be as low as five dollars. You want to start with five bucks a week? That's fine. Uh, five bucks a month. Sure, You know, we'll take you. Um, we want people to be able to commit whatever amount of money is comfortable for them. But we want them to commit to it on a recurring basis. And the reason for that is is a couple of things. One is we don't want people trading. And I think this is a really big uh, problem in our space. If if you want to look at the broader quote unquote cryptocurrency space, which, um, you know, I don't like to I don't like to lump us in with other companies, but I think there's Bitcoin and there's everything else. And Bitcoin, the mission of Bitcoin is free to money. It's, it's, an, it's a money that can't be inflated, stolen, you know, taken from you. You own it. We want everybody to have that money. And we want everybody to be saving for that on a regular basis, just like they do, you know, you, you do for your house uh, or for your car payment. Uh, or, you know, if you, have, if you use one of those savings apps to kind of like take some money out of your account every, every month. It's really important because if you do one-time buys, you're going to sit there. You're going to worry about the price going up, the price going down. Um, What we do is called dollar cost averaging, which means if the price goes up, we buy a little bit less because we're spending the same amount of dollars or uh, the price goes down, we buy a little bit more. And that really evens out volatility makes sure that you aren't sitting there panicking about the price because you know that you're buying 100 bucks worth a month no matter what. Um, And you either get more or you get less. And and that's fine. You're building your position. And one day that position will pay off uh, hopefully in a really big way when you either need it uh, like physically to leave the country or something like that or just as a part of your portfolio and to, to you know, help you diversify away from things like the legacy financial system, which is currently imploding. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people talk about what like things you can buy, you know, you can buy gold, you can buy stocks, you can buy real estate to kind of quote unquote diversify. But really, it's all tied together. And Bitcoin is one of the only things that sits totally outside of that bubble um, where there is no human intervention in Bitcoin. Nobody can influence uh, Bitcoin supply. Even with something like gold, if we get into asteroid mining, you know, we could have, you know, 10 times of Earth's uh, gold supply just found on one asteroid, like easily. Completely destroy the value of gold overnight. It's possible. So it's all a matter of technology and, and the effort we put into it. Whereas with Bitcoin, there's just no such thing. So we want people to be saving that on a regular basis. And we also know that people save more when they are more comfortable with Bitcoin. And that's really important for us to be a great resource for ongoing education um, we have uh, really good people on our team who are authors, podcasters. Uh, Brady uh, from Citizen Bitcoin is uh, our head of education. He, he puts out a lot of our content and helps us coordinate with other folks in the space uh, who are also content p- uh, producers, uh, people like Stefan Lavera and um, Andy Edstrom who wrote Why Buy Bitcoin. You know, people like that who are going to give us really good insights uh, on why Bitcoin is important. And we can share those insights with our customers to help them understand Bitcoin better. And when they understand it better, they're going to buy more of it, which benefits us as a company, of course, but it benefits them too, because that's really what it's all about. It's about benefiting the customer, making it easy for them to save on a repeating basis and not having to think about it.
0: Yeah, I think it's awesome. So how yeah, how would the, I mean, how do you guys then um, build the company around that model? Is there like a, a one-time sign up fee or is it um, per transaction? What What's the thinking behind that?
1: Yeah, so our fees, we're about to release uh, the actual fee schedule. They will be lower than pretty much any other uh, recurring savings app. Uh, but the idea is we take a fee either per transaction, so meaning you know if you're buying weekly, then every week we'll take some percentage off, or um, you can pay all your fees up front uh, for an annual prepay option, and that will actually save you uh, about 17% on fees overall. So you're going to get a big uh, chunk off your fees just by paying them up front, which is a nice way to commit yourself to... Uh, a savings plan also psychologically and just say like yeah i'm in it for at least a year i know this is just going to be going on you know 50 bucks a week 25 bucks a week whatever whatever is good for you um most people have that available especially in the united states with the disposable incomes that we have i mean people drink five dollar coffees every day here it's it's absolutely absurd don't drink the coffee make your coffee at home get a, get yourself a nice espresso machine for one time and you know put the rest into sats. like that's the way to do it right Stack your Sats on a recurring basis. And um, the fees will not be egregious. They will be quite low and quite reasonable. And, um, you know, they won't be as low as wiring money to an exchange and, and doing like a trade. But uh, that whole process is why people don't actually dollar-cost average. The whole point is to to attack the market of people who are just your, your average everyday investor or, you know, not even investors, your average everyday person who might just have like, you know, a few extra dollars in their bank account, not thousands. They don't want to wire you know, $10,000 to Kraken or something. They just want to have, you know, $5 a week being withdrawn from their bank account and having it automated. And I think there's a lot of value in that.
0: And also on the site, you're going to have um, the educational side. Um, how's that going to work for people? Because I think you're right. As soon as you start getting skin in the game, then you naturally want to start learning a little bit more about it and um, being able to, uh, to interact with the site and some of the some of the people you've got behind it so far is just incredible. Uh, you've got, you know, Thank you. The, it, that's why I don't, <laughs> that's why I'm so bullish, this company, like uh, looking
1: at the names yeah, you yeah. have
0: behind it and uh, having uh, met you and, and Corey as well.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So the educational component, uh, right now we have a, a site we call the Swan Signal. Um, so you go to swanbitcoin.com signal. And we like, you know, we like the name signal because we're, we're trying to provide signal and all the noise that's out there. There's so much noise in the bitcoin crypto whatever the hell you want to call it space and um, we want to have really pointed articles that tell the truth that are well researched um that are that are not um going to confuse you with you know 30 other altcoins they're just going to tell you how bitcoin works why you should buy it and uh, make your own decision uh but the signal publishes content both from us uh, as well as friends of ours uh so we have a, a story coming out with bitcoin tina uh, there is no alternative. <laughs> Bitcoin Tina's a very popular Twitter account. He's he had an awesome interview with Bitcoin Magazine, and um, Bitcoin Tina's never written anything. So we are we're helping Bitcoin Tina to put together some written content around some of his uh, podcast appearances, and this is going to be great for people who don't have time to listen to pods necessarily. Want to just read through it, and um, we're going to be doing more and more of that, providing a place for uh, Bitcoin thinkers, authors, um, you know, you name it, people who who have put out content in the Bitcoin space to come to us to act as essentially their publishing house and help them get their thoughts out, which is really beneficial for our users as well, because they're going to be getting some of the top thoughts from some of the top people.
0: And I think one of the coolest things is the um, the uh, the Siri of Bitcoin, which I'm going to call you guys, where you can ask the swan anything uh, and get an answer like real time.
1: Yeah, right. So if you go to the Twitter account swan bitcoin you can dm the swan anything any bitcoin question and our team is standing by to answer those questions Uh, you can also text the swan at 650-282-2107 650-282-2107 and uh, yeah text the swan ask your questions and we'll be happy to answer them and if you want and you give us your permission we'll uh, be screenshotting those and sharing those with other people as well on all of our social channels so that people can learn from the questions you ask and it's a really fun way to engage with people. And we're getting all kinds of interesting questions uh, through that channel, including just, you know, chit-chat, which is fine. We love to chit-chat too. And, uh, you know, just talk about all the things about Bitcoin and number going up and whatever is on your mind that day. <laughs> or my number going down as it's been recently.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, uh, where is it right now? I don't, I don't even know. Like,
1: I, I don't know. I have no idea. I stopped I stopped looking. I think we're at, are still back to around 8,000 or something. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, might, it might have it might have crashed in the 45 minutes we've been
1: talking oh we're at 7600 again oh, 765 so yes. see i think that's yeah when you like achieve uh, the level of bitcoin zen that i have after like you know being through so many ups and downs then i just i don't look at the price anymore i know this is a long term investment and i also know that what i'm saving is money that is not subject to confiscation or inflation that's the thing that's important i don't care if it's seventy six hundred or nine thousand or four thousand it's still very very underpriced if it becomes the actual global money that we think it can be so um, you know I, I look at it as a generational shift that's gonna take a long time it might take it might be my kids that benefit from my Bitcoin savings you know um, rather than me and that's fine uh, that's that's what we should be saving for for the future not for for the present
0: yeah I agree hundred percent I think um, whatever we're doing um, as parents now it's uh, you know I I have conversations with with people that you um, are asking me about it. And the thing I say to them is like, look, do you want to be the grandpa at the head of the table when your granddaughter turns around to you and says, You were around when Mm -hmm. they were inventing that Bitcoin thing, right? Like why why didn't you buy any? Like you don't want to be that guy. You just don't.
1: I really seriously, it's like it's really uh, mind-boggling to me that there are so many people out there who have this like visceral negative reaction to Bitcoin. And and it could be because You know, they've sort of like believed the stuff that they hear in the mainstream media, which a lot of it is, uh, frankly, very poorly researched. And it's a tough topic to research. I'm not even blaming the journalists here because they're on a deadline and they're asked to write an article about why Bitcoin is good or bad, you know, for criminals. And they're just going to go with whatever's been said before and and recompile it and re-say it. And the thing is, you have to dig deeper. Um, You have to, you know, I know a lot of people in Bitcoin. I know pretty much every, I can name, you know, the top 100 or 500 people on Twitter, probably if I had to, that, that are like all into Bitcoin and are evangelizing. None of them are criminals. None of them are criminals. A lot of them are concerned about privacy and they should be because, you know, cash is private, but like nobody's nobody's running around saying, uh, oh, you better, you know, write your name on every dollar bill uh, because, because, you know, you want to identify yourself. We should expect privacy. Okay. And to, uh, to
0: close the interview out then, uh, the, the, the usual closing question, if there was one person that you would like to go out and uh, talk about Bitcoin and help educate as many people that, that you would love to educate about Bitcoin and reach a really wide audience, who would that person be and why?
1: Okay, uh, can I give two answers to that? <laughs> um, so the first, the first answer was going to be, I would like it to be a female presidential candidate. Um, the reason for that is because I want the reach. Obviously, they have all the reach and all the attention in the media right now. Um, and I think it would be really cool for a politician to come out and not repeat the same old you know, FUD that we've heard about Bitcoin, but actually do the work, understand it, talk to their advisors, and really get behind this issue because it's such an important issue for America. And why do I want it to be a female president, presidential candidate? Because... I think I'd like to see more women in Bitcoin. Uh, This is a very male-dominated, you know, world, and we have a lot of, uh, you know, people from finance and tech tend to be very male-dominated industries, and they're all in Bitcoin. So of course, that's kind of, you know, not not surprising, but Bitcoin is really important for women. And actually, one of the reasons I got into Bitcoin in the first place was when I read a story about Afghan women who were being taught to code and then earning bitcoin uh, for things that they were doing online so basically just working online and earning earning their freedom essentially because as it turns out in afghanistan it's very difficult to get a bank account without male supervision so that was a really cool story for me and i understood then the the power of bitcoin is both as a, a you know as a kind of freeing force for people in poverty or you know, um, authoritarian circumstances but also for women who are living in societies where. Uh, They are oppressed by, you know, uh, by the circumstances of of that society. Uh, So I'd love to see that happen. I'd love to see more women in the space and, um, you know, specifically in Bitcoin and not in quote unquote crypto or other kind of tangential industries, which which have sucked in a lot of folks. Uh, And uh, the second answer as far as who I would like to see, uh, you know, out there telling people about Bitcoin is you, you the listener and everybody else uh, around you. Because I think Bitcoin is a very complicated thing. And uh, despite all the information that's out there and articles and videos and all that, we can't expect every single person in the world to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole to spend hours a day listening to pods or, you know, reading about Bitcoin. It's just not realistic. And I think the ones that are doing that, it's our responsibility to become really good at pitching Bitcoin, to explaining Bitcoin and to sending people to Bitcoin only sites that are highly recommendable. Um, I don't want to send people to you know places like Coinbase anymore. It's just very, very dangerous to send somebody there. They're going to get distracted by 30 other altcoins. That's a very complicated uh, world to get into. And uh, people are who don't trade stocks or stock options on their day job, they shouldn't trade crypto either, right? So we want to send people to really, really good Bitcoin-only sites. I think it's important for those of us who run Bitcoin-only businesses uh, to stick together, to recommend each other's products. And we do that all the time. I think it's it's really, really uh, doing the, the customer at the end of the day a service. So I want to see people out there talking to their friends about it, getting good at pitching, reading uh, and listening to pods to the point where they can, you know, speak Bitcoin talk all day without having to think about it and being able to dispel some of those narratives that are out there that are not very well thought out um, that, that people get concerned with. Because a lot of folks out there, you know, what about the volatility? Well, you know, just buy it like take 1% of your of your savings and put it into Bitcoin. It's not going to matter volatility-wise. You know, what about, you know, is it going to kill the planet? Well, no, like we have Bitcoin, you know, mining in all these remote areas. We have, you know, people taking stranded gas and, and turning it into Bitcoin. So we need to get good at answering this kind of FUD because it's what comes up for a lot of people before they get into Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, I'd love to see everybody out there shilling some more and just telling all their friends.
0: Well, you heard it, listeners, and uh, especially ladies. And um, are there any uh, lady, um, ladies out there in the Bitcoin community that I could get on the show. Who's, um, who, or who, the listeners could follow. go follow, right? That that's, that's the main thing.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of awesome women in the space. I'm going to name a few that I like, uh, not just because they're women, but also because they're, um, immigrants or people who live outside the U S because I think that's another really good perspective that we need. We get so caught up in our first world problems here. Um, with our 2% or 5% or even 10% inflation that we forget that people, you know, in Venezuela are experiencing a million percent inflation. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see um, uh, Crypto Diana, which is uh, somebody that I actually interviewed with uh, a few months ago. She is a, a Venezuelan expat and lives in Argentina. Um, she will have a very interesting perspective on, on Bitcoin in that area. Um, another one, uh, another podcast host, Naco, Naco Mbele. Who uh, runs the, around the coin? And um, when I interviewed with her again, it was a few months ago, maybe more than a few. Um, she was kind of like on her path to becoming a Bitcoin maximalist, almost. So she was kind of calling herself a maximalish. I'd love to hear where Nako is on her journey and um, where she's, uh, you know, what other questions she has and what things she's learned along the way with interviewing folks. Um, I'd love to hear from Elena, Elena Satoshi, who is. Uh, a co-author on the little Bitcoin book uh, by Jimmy Song and, and some other folks uh, just because, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear more authors uh, and more female authors out there talking about their experience. And uh, also an anonymous account, which I have really been enjoying recently, is Panic FOMO, uh, who we don't know what her real name is, but she puts out great content. And she also writes prose, which is not even Bitcoin related. It's just really good you know, little short stories and stuff like that. So. I'd love to hear those folks, uh, just because we've heard from the same people over and over. I want to hear some new voices uh, out on uh, out on your pod.
0: That's brilliant. That gives me a nice little lead list to go and uh, follow up with these people, awesome. and uh, and hopefully get them on and, and get their get their take on on Bitcoin. And you know, everybody gets touched in a different way. Everybody gets like that. There's there's always a different reason for somebody. Um, yeah. Maybe the first reason is to come in and speculate and they say, like, oh, yeah, I can make money out of this. Um, it more in like the first world countries. But even then, that, that falls away. Yeah.
1: And there's just, there's nothing wrong with that, honestly. Like, I think Bitcoin is a very complicated ecosystem which requires all of these things, right? Like, the fact that there's derivatives being built on Bitcoin is not bad. The financialization of Bitcoin in first world countries is that which lets the price get more, you know, price discovery be more efficient. Price being more stable over time as more money flows into it. And that helps people in those kind of third world regimes that need help um, getting out of them. So I think it all ties together very nicely. And we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't say, oh, speculators are bad or, you know, the people who want to get rich are bad. Everybody has their own motives. And that's that's really great because, you know, Bitcoin is, is like a really cool tool that takes all these selfish motives and turns them to something brilliant that's actually helpful for all of humanity without actually you know, saying, okay, we're gonna put these folks in charge and they're gonna be, you know, responsible for allocating resources. Bitcoin lets you help yourself, but it, it ties together people from all over the world with all kinds of different means and um, all kinds of different concerns and just makes the game theory such that you do what's best for Bitcoin because if once you're a Bitcoin owner, you wanna do what's best for Bitcoin and what's best for Bitcoin is best for all other Bitcoin owners. So it you know it's it's great that way.
0: Brilliant, brilliant way to sum it up and, and end the show and how can people find you? Um, and is there any uh, last closing thoughts or words that you want to leave the listeners with?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com/skwp, uh, which is pronounced "scoop." And if you're interested in the story behind that, then please DM me. That'll give you a nice reason to DM me. Um, and uh, I've had that name since I was 14 years old. So literally, you know, I'm, I'm very transparent. If you Google me and get like 50 pages deep, you'll probably find stuff that I wrote when I was 14. So. You know, as embarrassing as it is, it's still out there, <laughs> and uh, I stand behind. I stand behind that. I've always tried to be an honest person as much as I can be within, you know, parameters <laughs> around me, um, and that's why I want to help people in Bitcoin because I, I really do believe in the mission and not just you know the kind of get rich quick mentality. So yeah, follow me on Twitter skwp. Um, you can also find my book Inventing Bitcoin at uh, on Amazon or you can go to inventingbitcoin.com. And buy it for Bitcoin if you like. If you want to part with your Sats, I'll take them off your hands. Although I do then have to ship it out manually to you, so please be kind. Don't do it unless you have to. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, parting thoughts. I I just loved for people to uh, ignore the hype a little bit and and think about Bitcoin for the long term. There's all these people out there, you know. Say first, people are saying Bitcoin's a safe haven, and other people are, are yelling at those people saying, no, no, it's not. It went down by eighty percent." We all need to take a step back and remember why we're in this. Um, We're in this for sound money, uh, censorship resistance. We're in this for freedom. Um, Those are the things that matter. And Bitcoin has the the fundamentals to achieve those goals. So whether they're true or not today is not as relevant as whether the fundamentals are there to support them. So of course, it's going to go down by 80% if there's some kind of crazy, you know, um, horrible media hype or, you know. We hear about the mining death spiral or something like that in the media and everybody starts selling. I mean, this stuff happens because it's a small market, but the fundamentals are there for Bitcoin to be a, a beautiful thing for the world. And we need everybody to just start saving a little bit every day, every week, every month, and uh, not worrying about all the hype to hear. And then everything else will just play itself out in the right ways.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your work. You know,
1: my thank pleasure, with the book. and of course, oh, I didn't chill. I, I have to do a final shill for Swan. So check out swanbitcoin.com, Swan like the black Swan uh, of Nasim Taleb. Please do check us out. Um, we'll be launching uh, at the end of March.
0: Well done. I was gonna chill it for you.
1: So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, please, oh, shill, shill it for me. <laughs> I wouldn't
0: have liked, I wouldn't have ended the call without you uh, without Swan being mentioned. But thank you for your work with the book and with Swan. Uh, really excited to watch this company grow. Urge everybody to um. Go check it out. Put it on their uh, watch list and start signing up. It's it's going to be available in the US in the next week or two. Is that correct?
1: Yes, right. that's correct. And yeah, we we will have plans for international, but we need to really nail the home game first. Make sure we understand all the regulatory uh, issues and you know be you know our mission always as always transparency, security, uh, making sure we do everything right by our users. So we're not going to do something that um, is you know uh, that we're not totally certain of. So. We'll expand as we can. That's
0: fine with us. You guys, you tested all on the uh, the American folks, and we'll just be we're ready. We're ready and waiting. So just yeah. make sure you get it right first Great. before you roll it out to. Uh... Great. <laughs> okay. All right, Jan. Thanks exactly. so much.
1: All right, it was a pleasure, Dan, and thank you so much again for having me on. Pleasure. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: Hey guys, uh, thank you so much for listening to um, this interview with uh, with Jan Pritzker. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. Um, incredible guy, uh, really great to get to speak with him and learn about his life story, which just leaves you speechless. Really, um, you know, uh, going through that as as a young man uh, was a young boy, dodging a nuclear fallout and um, escaping the uh, the country with, with his family is um, is crazy, and then having to start everything all over again. And you can see how that that experience has um has tied him into into bitcoin and um the the rabbit holes he's falling down to with regards to um what bitcoin can um can do for you know storing your wealth and um you know touching different parts of uh, of humanity so i hope you um go check out his book go find him on twitter um keep an eye on swan uh because they'll be launching soon and that's going to be a great company to watch and um yeah, feel free to reach out anytime uh, to me uh, on Twitter at Princey1976. Always happy to hear from um, from people and uh, please uh, suggest any new, new guests that you'd like to hear from. Um, not much more to say, um, you know, uh, strange times right now. This is being recorded at uh, what seems to be panic stations with coronavirus after Trump um, declaring a, a travel ban and, uh, markets going into uh, a tailspin. So, uh, stay safe, everybody. And, um, hope, uh, hope this all blows over in, uh, the next uh, few months and, um, we can get back to, um, well, what is normal, right? <laughs> uh, thanks for supporting the show. If there's, um, if you want to help support the show, just, just, Share the link right now with uh, with one of your friends. That's about a, a, as best as you can do, I think. If you want to write a review, go ahead and do that. Um, I'm not going to ask you to do it. I know it can be a bit arduous. So um I think sharing it word of mouth at the moment is the best way to uh, to help spread the word and, and get some organic growth. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Take care, and I'll see you on the uh, next episode. Bye-bye.